This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Galley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Manufacturing company St. Gobain is closing their plant in Merrimack. That facility has been at the center of a long-running controversy over PFAS contamination in the area. Joining me now are NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and New Hampshire Bulletin's Hadley Barndarler. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. First, I want to start with you, Hadley. Can you remind us of the impact that this facility has had on the town of Merrimack and, and surrounding areas? Sure. So the state of New Hampshire has attributed widespread PFAS contamination in five communities to the French plastics manufacturer Saint-Cobain. Those communities include Merrimack, Bedford, Londonderry, Hudson, and Litchfield. Um, The environmental investigation into Saint-Cobain began in um, 2016 when PFAS was first discovered in hundreds of wells, and that number has grown exponentially since. Um, St. Cobain ultimately entered into a consent decree agreement with the state to provide permanent clean water solutions to approximately 1,000 properties and construct municipal water connections. Um, In terms of health impacts, PFAS has been attributed to a slew of negative health outcomes, and the state published a report in 2021 that found elevated rates of kidney and renal pelvis cancer um, in the community of Merrimack. And the decision comes less than a week after the facility was approved for a new state permit. That would have allowed St. Cobain to continue operating the Merrimack plant for another five years at least. What happened there, Mara? Yeah, so this definitely came as a surprise, um, particularly to advocates who've been vocal critics of St. Cobain for years, whose understanding, you know, after the company got this permit was that the facility would be expanding. State regulators also told us they didn't know the plant was planning to close. Um, The company had just gotten their permit from the Air Resources Division last week. And according to the state's website, regulators were expecting the company to file another permit application for groundwater management in the spring of 2024. The company says the decision is part of a larger restructuring um, and is in line with their business goals, but they say no other plants in North America will close because of this decision, and the activities the business is exiting are only related to this facility in Merrimack. Um, At the Merrimack plant, the company makes fabrics and films that are chemical and weather-resistant for a variety of things, some for the U.S. Department of Defense, but they didn't respond to questions about exactly what activities they're exiting or what business goals the decision relates to. So when does St. Cobain plan to end operations in Merrimack? What's the timeline here, Hadley? So a spokesperson for the corporation said the wind-down process will continue into 2024. So this this is not an immediate closure. Um, the first layoffs will be effective October 31st. About 164 empl- employees will be impacted by the closure. And the company said it will fulfill all current contracts, but as of Tuesday of this week, would not accept any new orders or extend any contracts. Mara, what did you hear from activists who have been been fighting against St. Cobain for for a long time now? What was their reaction to this news? Yeah, you know, it was a mix of surprise, excitement, celebration, and and concern over the future. Um, A small group of people gathered across the street from the plant on Wednesday night to have a sort of goodbye party. Um, I spoke with State Representative Wendy Thomas there. Um, Thomas has breast cancer, which she attributes to her PFAS exposure. She told me she's watched her neighbors get sick, um, some die. And she said she wants to see the company take more responsibility for the contamination, but full remediation would be a massive undertaking. It permeates all aspects of living in this town. I don't think there's ever going to be economic justice. I don't even know what that looks like, but if I had a wish list, I would say medical monitoring, health, health issues being taken care of, clean water, stopping you know exposure by air, and, and just, you know, 
general cleanup. You know, in Vermont, where Saint-Gobain had a facility until 2002, a class action lawsuit was settled after the company pulled out that gave residents access to some of the things Thomas is talking about here, like medical monitoring. But after the New Hampshire Supreme Court decided this past March that people who aren't currently sick can't get medical monitoring covered, it's unclear what the future is for that. Thomas says she's gathering lawmakers to discuss some next steps. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because Saint-Gobain is closing the plant, but this contamination is not going to go away. So, Hadley, what is the latest and what's next with cleanup efforts from the state. What are you hearing about that? Well, as Mara just talked about, environmental advocates are very concerned about the legacy impacts even after St. Gobain closes its doors. As we know, PFAS are called forever chemicals and they can remain in the environment and the human body for years. Um, St. Gobain has said it will continue to work with the state's Department of Environmental Services on its ongoing environmental investigation and the remediation effort. But advocates and lawmakers are wanting more assurance that the corporation will be held responsible um, for any and all necessary cleanup in the future. And I do want to note, you know, Governor Sununu issued a statement this week where where he said that all remediation efforts will continue pursuant to applicable laws and court orders. So that is all to say there's a long road ahead even after St. Cobain leaves New Hampshire. And Hadley, have you heard anything from St. Cobain itself and to what they're offering employees? They'll be, be out of a job here. Yes, there will be some relocation packages um, and some support uh, for the 164 employees that have been impacted. It's Morning Edition here on NHPR. We're recapping the week's news with NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and New Hampshire Bulletin's Hadley Barndollar. If you've got questions about what's been going on in the state, you can always email us and inform our reporting at voices at nhpr.org. I'm going to turn our attention now to, to the rain over the summer. Several towns in New Hampshire still rebuilding from the floods earlier this summer. The town of Ackworth was hit particularly hard in July. Mara, you were there earlier this month for some reporting. What did you see? Yeah, so when I visited, Ackworth had a number of roads that were still totally impassable. Um, I saw Crane Brook Road, which had like a whole half missing. It was half road, and the other half was just this big, deep hole. Um, In July, the town had 32 roads wash out, and South Ackworth, where there's this village store and a church and a community center, a brook was rerouted during the storm. So instead of running its usual route, it was running underneath the church and the community center. Residents there said they were seeing it undermine those buildings' foundations. Um, And I also saw some smaller reminders of the floods sort of still scattered around picnic tables that had been picked up and floated out to a different part of the village store's backyard, a bench that ended up in a bush. So the aftermath of the flood was still very present. And they've been dealing with a lot of flooding the last couple of years, haven't they? Yeah. So the 32 roads that washed out were exactly the same roads, 32 roads that washed out two years ago in the summer of 2021. Um, The town had just finished getting them fixed when they all washed out again. What, What are the challenges they're facing here? I mean, are they looking for more support from the state or federal government to rebuild there? Yeah. So when these big disasters happen, towns can get help from the Federal Emergency Management Agency or FEMA, but that agency only reimburses towns. You know, towns have to pay for those repairs up front before they get reimbursed. So Ackworth had to use some of the money from their budget, take out a big loan. Their their repairs that were needed were much larger than the town's budget. Um, They hit their borrowing limit, but they haven't been reimbursed yet for most of the money that they spent by FEMA. So they're struggling to figure out how to pay for this new round of repairs they'll need to make. Um, so they're looking for reimbursement to happen faster, you know, as these sort of 
flooding events happen more frequently with climate change. They compound each other. Um, and they're looking for the state and federal government to help sort of put together a task force that could streamline efforts to build back in a more climate resilient way, um, you know, to make sure these kinds of things don't happen again. Yeah, because we're, we're facing a wetter climate here. I'm, I'm wondering how small towns like Ackworth are preparing for that future with that higher flood risk. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there, there's state and federal help for towns like Ackworth to do hazard mitigation, basically build the roads back stronger. Um, but exactly what that would look like and how much it would cost takes more time and more work to figure out. And and when a town like Ackworth is trying to get people able to go on the roads, um, you know, they said that that work is just hard to do. Um, so they're looking for more support from state regulators and researchers in this sort of task force um, that they say could be a model for other rural towns that don't necessarily have the resources to do that kind of hazard mitigation to, to be able to do it more effectively going forward. Howdy, I want to turn our attention to another story out of the North Country that you reported on this week. Nearly 900 acres of land are being preserved in the North Country. What's the significance of that land preservation? Sure. So this specific land preservation is approximately 800 additional acres at the Maidstone Bends Preserve in Northumberland and Groveton. Um, it's located on the Upper Connecticut River, and it's an area rich with floodplains, which are areas along rivers that flood in the springtime and provide important water quality and habitat benefits. At Maidstone Bends, the Nature Conservancy and New Hampshire Fish and Game are working together on what is believed to be the largest floodplain restoration project in the state's history. And in addition, this new land conservation protects a public water drinking source for the residents of Northumberland. And this land getting, getting preserved, as you said, includes wetlands and, and floodplains. But why are state and federal officials especially concerned about wetland preservation? Wetlands are incredibly important for flood storage, erosion control, nutrient retention and water quality improvements, as well as species diversity. And yet the U.S. has been losing wetlands at an alarming rate that's faster than much of the world. Um, I recently wrote about how New Hampshire and other states are trying to achieve no net loss of wetlands through a concept called compensatory mitigation, which is actually part of the Federal Clean Water Act. And compensatory mitigation means when wetlands are impacted or lost by, say, road work or development projects, by law, wetlands have to be protected and restored elsewhere to make up for any losses. And this is an ongoing effort in New Hampshire, and it has an entire program dedicated to it at the Department of Environmental Services. And of course, this ties back into what we're talking about with, with flooding. Floodplains are, and wetlands are very important to, to help mitigate that. Absolutely. And, and this summer's rain, of course, has led to some really treacherous waters across the state. I want to kind of call back some stories that we were talking about in the last week or two here at NHPR. There's been multiple rescues and, and deaths, unfortunately, this month in New Hampshire waters. Mara, what should visitors and locals consider before they heading, head outdoors for, for a swim in their local swim hole? Yeah, you know, all the rain we've gotten this summer has made water more dangerous than usual. Um, it's colder, it's faster, it's deeper than normal. Um, currents can be hard to see from the shore. So if you're looking at it from the shore, it's not necessarily obvious um, how fast the water's going. So um, I talked to New Hampshire Fish and Game. They say... You really need to think critically about the water before you get in it. Um, make sure the kids that you're with have flotation devices in case they you can't get to them. Um, and, and they really want people to keep the swimming to places that have lifeguards or are designated swim spots. So, you know, the, the lieutenant I talked to said, don't swim in rivers. 
It really is. They've been running very, very high. I've been to a couple of them this year, and it, it's even places that you know real well. You cannot see the bottom. You don't realize how deep it is, and you just do not know how fast that current is running right now. It's it's not like a typical August. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask what's uh, next for both of you before I let you go. Um, Hadley, is there anything that you're working on right now that you'd like to preview? Sure. I'm working on a fun story about the state's Big Trees program, which is quite literally a program that crowns the champs of every county and statewide of the biggest trees um, of each species. No kidding. We can't wait to hear about that. How about you, Mara? What are you you working on? Yeah, that sounds awesome, Hadley. I can't (laughs) wait for that. uh, well, Governor Sununu and some top Republicans yesterday sent um, a letter saying they opposed the creation of an environmental justice position within the organization that manages New England's electric grid. Um, that's something energy officials in other states have been calling for. So I'm going to do some reporting on that today, hopefully have a story tonight to see see what's up. Okay, we'll be watching for that. Thanks so much. Uh, NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Hallie Barndollar. Thanks for, for coming on the New Hampshire Recap. Thanks for getting up a little early today. Thanks so much, Rick. Thanks, Rick. You can find more of their work and all the stories we talked about this morning, as always, at nhpr.org and at newhampshirebulletin.com. We're here next Friday as well with some more top headlines. I'm Rick Anley, and this is NHPR.